Hello and welcome to the Life in General podcast. My name is Nick. I'm sorry to hear that. Is there anything I can do about that? What the fuck? <laughs> sorry. Like, so we go from like, we go through one episode where you're like normal at the beginning and now I don't know what the fuck's going on again. Just being cheeky. Sorry. Cheeky? Yeah, why not? Cheeky. <sighs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, any questions or comments, you can email us at contact at life in general podcast.com. Ian, what's our Twitter Twitter handle? You said you'd remember it. I never swore. I never yes, promised you that. Did. You were like, you said, you. Were, I told you what it was, and you were like, oh. And then you like said it a different way, and you're like, and I was like, well, that's not what it is. And you're like, well, that's how I will remember it. Isn't it like at life in general pod? Huh? Guess. I don't know. At lig pod yeah that was right because you're like link pod i remember that now link pod and i will now i don't remember that <laughs> no link pod I'd, re- I'd i would have remembered link pod you're looking in the distance and it's freaking me out yeah because behind me there's a window over there and i could swear i just saw something in the window oh i want to tell you right, i'm well. going home so if there's a <laughs> there's a killer out there it's, it's gonna get yeah, you my, my gun's upstairs so well yeah we're trapped down here too. Or something. Well, I mean, we like, go go out that window, but yeah, what well, that's coming through that window? Yeah, there's nowhere over here. I mean, I've got some rather large knives on the other side of my bar there. Yeah, but what if it's like an unstoppable killer, like a Jason? Oh my god! Or something? All right. Well, anyway, uh, we're on uh, Podbean and iTunes, and leave us a five star review six on star, uh, six star, six star, six star. Check us out on Spotify and on uh, YouTube also. Indeed. Thanks. Good night. That's about all Nick can tolerate me. (laughs) He's done. He's over. So, there's been like a recurring theme over the course of the past, I don't know, probably the last year of us talking about music. I wouldn't really call it recurring. It's just, it, it's, intentionally recurring so is it really recurring just recurring is the impression that it's like randomly recurring but we've made a conscious decision to do music episodes as as a regular so because we've talked about music so much i've decided to talk about it even more (laughs) (laughs) we're always going to talk about it (laughs) um so I, 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 so we're going to talk about the music of Pink Floyd because that's mm-hmm. a band that I really thoroughly enjoy. But I need to say something up front that for a long time, I would call myself a, a casual Pink Floyd fan. I mean, I liked a couple of songs off of Dark Side of the Moon, I liked a couple of songs off of The Wall, and that was kind of the extent of my Pink Floyd listening, right? And it, that's changed dramatically the past couple of years and i i think i think i said i've said this on the show before that i i think it was just as i've gotten older and and gone back and listened to some of this music i understand it i understand what they were trying to because when i was you know 17 18 19 years old it was just music to me Mm. you know i i didn't understand what they were trying to create with their music. I just heard a 23 minute song that had, you know, lyrics for, you know, 45 seconds of it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, I mean, and I'm talking about echoes, echoes has more lyrics than that, but it's right. just, 
it, it was just, I didn't understand it. Because right. I listen to a lot of songs that are 20 plus minutes long too, but a lot more lyrics than that. Yes, they've they've got some longer a lot, a lot songs. more like music jumping too you know it's not it's, change, change of pitch and things yeah. like that it's and they've got songs that are longer like that they have they don't have a whole lot of lyrics to it mm-hmm. and and now as i'm older I, I i i have a better appreciation for what they were doing i guess okay all right I, thanks I guys I, <laughs> I, I can't add anything to that that's your opinion um, I, the only thing I can add to that is my opinion and I would still consider myself that casual listener. Yeah. Um, I've listened to more than just dark side in the wall, but they, they've got an interesting past though. And I guess that's, they the, do. Other, and, that's and, the, and that's the other thing when I was younger, I mean, I knew who Sid Barrett was and I was like, Oh, he was this crazy guy that did too much acid and fried crazy and, and fried his brain. And well, it's not that's, the truth. That's it's, not, that's yeah. not even close to me in the truth. And yeah. I've watched. Uh, a couple of documentaries recently, and, and and when I say recently, within the last couple of months, two months, and I I think they all kind of overplay Sid's contribution. They, no, I wouldn't say no because he he had a huge contribution to the band the first you know two years, three years of the band. Well, from sixty two when the band was formed until you know sixty eight. Mm. And but it, as far as like their output goes, it was really just a couple of an years. album. Yeah, it was it was it was, it was an album. But I, I think they really overplay <clears throat> the drug use, and obviously there was a lot of drug use right. in Sid's life. But there's a lot of other like big issues. Uh, so I'll, well, I kind of go was, back. He to was the, schizophrenic, <clears throat> if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So well, he was never diagnosed anything. But I'll kind of go no. back. So you know, the the band was formed in, uh, sometime in '62. Uh, Roger Waters, Nick Mason, Rich Wright, Rick, Rick Wright, they all kind of get together and they formed a band. The band was named T-Set. I don't know why. It's a very British six, you know, name for six, well, the early and 60s. Well, if memory serves, cause I watched a documentary on them and uh, they didn't live the lifestyle so much when they were trying to do the band, but didn't they all come from kind of upper middle class British families? Yes. Yeah. Well, they were, yeah, middle, definitely middle class, but it was uh, in the, it was, once Sid Barrett kind of came in to the band in, in like I think it was like mid to late sixty two, the band kind of took a different tone musically, and it was definitely it was they did a lot more. Sid Barrett was heavily influenced by the Beach Boys and that California rock sound, even though it didn't really come through on their music. That's kind of where he came. Right. You know, from and uh, it was before a concert one time they found out that there was another band by the name T Set, so that's where um, two be- two bands actually chose that as their name. Yes, that's yes. that's odd. So so Sid comes across the name of the names of two relatively unknown blues musicians by the name of Pink Anderson and Floyd Council, mm-hmm. and the names just kind of stuck with them, and that's where the Pink Floyd sound came from. Ultimately, they dropped the the and sound and just became Pink Floyd. But they actually, you can even see a lot, there's a lot of, of uh, concert posters from the mid-60s where there were the Pink Floyd sound. Yeah. And yeah, but they were all, they were all kind of went to school together. All, it was an architecture school yep. that they all kind of went to. And uh, it was, but here you have this this group of young students, because they're all really young at this time when they when they put the band together. And whose love of music and and playing guitar and kind of just jamming together, 
it was it was really an interesting period in time. It was uh, there was really a lot of transition going on in the music scene. Yeah, you know, through the use of psychedelics and things like that, and they really kind of created this alternative style that wasn't really being played at that time. One could argue that they're they're only psychedelic to a degree. I mean, even their earlier stuff. There's there's a blend there. No, but even like be, before they recorded Piper at the Gates of Dawn, there was the, the band started out taking they're doing blues covers uh-huh. and, and and more tra- traditional rock songs, and they were doing like psychedelic covers of them. So and that was before they even started writing their own music. So they basically like a cover band when they started out, right? Just kind of with their own sound, and uh, you know it, the it. Like when the band started, when they recorded Piper of the Gates of Dawn, when they recorded Saucer Full of Secrets, it really happened to coincide with the birth of and the explosion of FM radio. Because prior to the late 60s, AM radio, you had like a like a, a three or four minute top track. Uh-huh. That, they would, that, that was it. If you went over four minutes, they weren't playing your song. And whereas this new FM radio, because it was more underground FM, radio, yeah, there was there was there was no time restraints. There was a couple of major um, FM radio stations in New York. They would play the entire side of an album, right? Mm-hmm. And just play the whole thing out. And with, without those those musical boundaries, I think it really helped play into the style that Pink Floyd would become. Right, you know, with, to, with with more progressive, more elaborate. But songs. to be fair, they they were they struggled to get any kind of real recognition, according to the documentary I watched, up until the mid seventies. Yeah, oh yeah, 70s. yeah, 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 yeah. It wasn't until like they were kind six, of an underground band, sixty five, sixty six. Yeah, but they were still there was a psychedelic scene in the you know sixty five, sixty six. Like I said, mm. and it was I'm trying to remember the the name of the and the the one documentary. Um, that I watched, they kept calling it the UFO Club. Mm. It's not the UFO Club; it's the UFO Club, is what it is. Yeah. And uh, so, as soon as they started saying that, I'm like, "Do you even know what the fuck are you talking about?" But anyway, so- I noticed that with a lot of like, like I, I call them the secondhand uh, rock documentaries. Yeah. Where they'll do like an hour on a band that's been around for fifty fucking years. Yeah. And they they don't cover anything, and then half their information anything is of substance. Anything of substance, and half their information is, you know, it's not entirely accurate you know, so it was so I, I don't remember the name of the guy that that put this club together but it was a i don't even remember what what exactly the building was i don't remember if it was like some kind of religious building or just like a town hall that he rented this the the space out on like friday saturday sunday and they called it the ufo club <clears throat> and it was pink floyd that kind of headlined this club mm. you know all all weekend and it was there where they started using, you know, psychedelic colors, and they were kind of the first band to really popularize things like lasers and props during or the light show. Shows light and, shows, yeah. And, they uh, didn't really have lasers back then, but no, I, yeah, you're right. It was lasers didn't come until early '70s, right. but um, but Sid would, you know, put uh, different colors on dials and play them over over the light. lighting, and and kind of had this trippy psychedelic kind of mood going on right. and, and, and that's stuff kinda, that would really really stand out for someone who's tripping on lsd or whatever as i i will admit as someone who has dabbled in psychedelics in their life mm. i completely understand that right 
And as someone who doesn't, that might explain why I have a hard time sometimes really getting into that kind of music. Yeah. Because I don't. I have never dabbled. I, I never look, will. I have no inter- I, I'm interest a, in, in dabbling. I'm a very big Pink Floyd fan. You know, I've got 20. I counted yesterday, the day before. I've got 29 of their albums. Right. Well, they a lot of them are just duplicates. You <laughs> get like, I want the original pressing. I want the remastered. I've got yes. this on I, CD. I've got, I've got four copies of the wall, but we'll right. get to that. Right. Um. But I, I have a hard time with some of their earlier music because I was I'm not necessarily a fan. They're like Piper at the Gates of Dawn is a very, very late '60s album and i like their i like that album a lot personally i have a problem there's a couple of good songs on it i mean it but some of it i mean it's like it's 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 out there yeah definitely it is out there um and but you know even before i get into the albums i'll kind of blow through some of the albums but it's just a band and i think we've even said this recently on when i think when we talked about a rock show uh, a band like this couldn't exist today you know, record no record company is going to give a band four or five albums to grow and develop. When you figure their first top fifty album in the U.S. was "Obscured by Clouds," which was their seventh album. Right. Dark now, now granted, "Dark Side of the Moon" came next, but you know it, it was really at this time that they're kind of putting everything together. And that's a long period because that's what seventy one. Yeah. When "Obscured by Clouds" came I, out, I think you know better than I do. You know they're. I, I've got. I've got their 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 catalog right here. I'm sorry. You, you were getting ready to say something though before I rudely interrupted you. Uh, Obscured by Clouds was 72. Okay, 72. Um, so it was a year before. Well, Clouds I was right? just going to say you, you point out that they 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 couldn't exist today, but I think they would exist in a different realm. They would be more of a an EDM kind of thing. But I don't today. <laughs> they wouldn't. They wouldn't be doing I, what they I, were, were I, doing. I don't that. think a rec- that sound wouldn't exist today. No, I'm not even talking about the sound. I just don't think a band is going to have that opportunity. No record label is going to sit and wait for you for seven albums to put something together. Oh, as far as their yeah, no, you're that's very true, very true. Um, but as we, I think we even pointed this out in the last uh, last music show, Rush had the same problem. Yeah. They if twenty one twelve was their last album. They were they they were contractually obligated to make that album, but they hadn't sold anything. Their albums were not selling. Mm-hmm. That was the, after that album was done. They were they, all planning on were getting done. real jobs. Yeah, and that one blew up. So, um, <clears throat> but the funny thing, like going back to and that wouldn't happen today. It's bad. No. where I was going with that too. Uh, going back to Sid Barrett and the whole mental issue. The, it was funny, like. Uh, I don't even remember when it was, but it was it, it, Sid's behavior became grew more and more erratic. Yes, to the point where he would play. They, they came to a tour. They did their their first tour in the United States um, after Piper was released, and there was a show where, over the course of the show, uh, Sid Barrett would slowly detune his guitar. Over the, now, granted, the people in the crowd probably weren't going to pay any attention, or they, well, they they all they thought it was part of the act, but right. the the band grew just more and more aggravated with, you know, him just not showing up, or him doing an interview and just staring blank into the face of the person on TV and never answering anything, right. which he did on several occasions, and uh, you know, and, and it was just finally the band kind of had enough of it, and I think the last straw was. 
when they were in the process of rehearsing for Saucer Full of Secrets, which was their second album, uh, Sid had written a song that the band was was practicing and trying to work out. And every time the band would kind of figure it out, Sid would change the song. Like, every time. And they were just kind of going over and over. Sid thought it was a game, but it was it was just frustrating to the rest of the band. Because right. he's just at this point, he's just wasting their time. Right. So it was... Now, uh, at this point, they'd already brought in David Gilmore as a backup guitarist, correct? Correct. Yeah. So it was uh, during that period that they were on their way to a show, and once one band member said to somebody else, hey, should we even bother to pick up Sid? Uh, and then the rest of the band was like, nah, fuck it, let's just go. We'll just go do the show. And Sid Barrett's mental state at this time is, so it was, it was probably hardest on Rick Wright because he was living with Sid at the time. And uh, I I heard one story where they said that uh, Richard Wright said that he'd like just come up with some story. Hey, I'm going out for a little while. And uh, he'd leave, go do a show and he'd come back that night and Sid would be sitting in the exact same spot on the couch and not even know that Rick was gone. Yeah. So it was like there was obviously huge mental issues going oh, yeah. on that no one was even willing to pay attention to. The, the The entire band stuck their head in the sand. So did the record company. Everyone that was in line that could have helped him kind of gave up well, on Well, they him. really weren't diagnosing that kind of stuff back then anyway. And even if they had, back then, he would have just ended up in some really shitty asylum. Oh, probably. Yeah. Well, because they were still they were still around back 60, then. Yeah, sixty eight. They would have just put him in a, in a in a crappy hospital, drugged him up, and locked him in a room, and he yeah. would have you know, the he band, really wouldn't have had a life. The band members, at least for the first couple of years after he left, they at least maintained a good relationship with him. Right. Um, you know, David Gilmore and Roger Waters actually performed and produced Sid's first solo album. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Gilmore and Wright produced Sid's second solo album. So there was still some kind of relationship. The one the one uh, documentary I watched, I think you watched too, like completely, they made it sound like once he was out of the band, they like dropped off the face of the earth until he showed up at the recording studio. Not the one I watched. They mentioned, they, they, they brought up in, in detail about his solo albums. Oh, did they? Yeah. Okay. So I knew that. Um but other than that, they did kind of. No, I want. I want to say they actually probably spent more time on the band's regrets about not intervening more uh, on his behalf back then. Okay, well maybe we we'll uh, watch a different one. We, I then. think we might have watched a different one, but uh, um, they did go into detail about the solo albums and, and okay, and like I said, a lot of especially Roger Waters because I think they were friends the longest, right? Um, actually, uh, Sid and David Gilmore grew up together. Okay. Um, they were all friends for a very long right. time. Cause they, 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 in the interviews, I mean, obviously David Gilmore was, there's a lot of remorse, but they really kind of focused on Roger Waters cause Roger Waters really called himself and everyone else out for not really doing more help, helping, do, doing including more help Rob, Sid's family. Yeah. So, um, but it was. It, it seems that David Gilmore was kind of the driving force in whenever they did a live album, which was, you know, they did the second side of Omagama was a live album. Um, they did uh, Pulse. They did, uh, what was the other one they did? In the, they did another one in the, in the early 80s. Um, not a collection of, um, 
dance songs. I don't remember the other. Um, Delicate, Delicate Sound, Sound of Thunder. Thunder. That's yeah. what I was trying to think of. The uh, Delicate Sound of Thunder. Whenever they released anything live, uh, David Gilmore always made sure there was at least one Sid Barrett song so on there. So he could get some royalties. So he it. would, yeah. They, the, the band made it, especially David Gilmore, it seems like, made a really concerted effort to make sure there was continuing royalties going to Sid just to make sure he was taken care of. Right. And when he died, I want to say he left you know, a million or two million dollars to his sister. So he was obviously taken care of. Right. And I don't think you he You wouldn't ever... know by looking at him, no. I mean, as far as, from what I've, stories I've heard about his appearance, and, and, and especially in the late 80s, early 90s, he looked rough. Oh, he looked rough. He looked rough in 75 when they were recording Wish You Were Here. Yeah. He showed up, he famously showed up at the recording studio and no one even recognized him. Right. And it only been two years, I think it was two years, since- you know, uh, his his second solo album came right. out. Right. Yeah, 70. I don't know. So it was like 72, was. 73, something like that when, when his second album came out. Uh-huh. So it only, it only been a short period of time, but in a two-year time span, he physically he changed considerably. Yeah. Uh, when he showed up in the recording studio, his head was shaved. Even his eyebrows were shaved off. He had gained a lot of weight. Just a very different look from what Sid Barrett looked like. Right. Yeah. I wonder if that had any... Well, probably not because we'll get to it. But influence on the character of Pink in the movie The Wall. Well, we'll get to that. But the, the Wall was based more off of Roger Waters' life than anything else. Yeah, but I think the mental breakdown of the character was Sid. Somewhat, and it was also somewhat. I'd say it was fifty percent Sid and fifty percent Roger. Did Roger Waters really break down that much at any point in his life? No, but because the, the character in that movie. The whole concept, goes and, just the goes whole crazy. concept of the wall was born out of an incident that happened on the very last tour um, after Animals re- was released in '77. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concert was in in Montreal. It was a big show. There was a guy in the very front row that kept lighting off fireworks. <clears throat> it really irritated Roger Waters. Ro- Roger Waters gets in a confrontation with the guy. They. Uh, you know, yell back and forth, and Roger Waters ends up spitting in the guy's face. Mm. And it was after that show, he leaves with Bob Ezrin, and because him and Bob are really good friends, right. and that's where Roger Waters concocts the entire idea of the wall and you know, breaking off, putting a walling off him and, and and the fans and everything else, mm. and the whole kind of thing came together, right. especially coming from. Right. I was referring more to the movie because I know there's a disconnect between what the concept of the film is and the concept of the album is. Yes, I was referring no, more to but, the concept of the film, yeah. not so much the album. But even like all the, th- the all the things that happens to Pink in his early years in that, that happened movie, to Roger. Waters. That's all Roger. Ro- his father died, died in World, World War II, II and everything else, and kind of a domineering mother, and the school issues and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Fair enough. The, but I think the break, though, I always perceive that to be. Sid, Sid esque, yeah, yeah. Because, but, I, I, mean, but I think I think that's kind of where Rogers' frame of mind was after Montreal in '77. Yeah, where he's like, you know what? I can't do it. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with society. I just want to wall it off. And it's just we'll get to all that because we'll there's a the, yeah because there's a whole concert issue and and David Gilmore basically quitting and going and watching the rest of the of a concert in the sound booth, all sorts of crazy. Wow. Shit. Um, just back to Sid real quick. I heard there were some, some shows where he would just, he would buy tickets 
buy a ticket and just show up to shows as a as a casual. I, I, I don't. I'm not I heard sure. Heard stories about that. About that. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if any of it's actually really. It's hard. I mean, you can't. Yeah. I mean, you really couldn't prove it, but. Um, you know, fans saying that they saw Sid Barrett just sitting in the audience watching the shows and things like that. But, but the funny thing is, they you say that, but God, could anyone even tell you what Sid Barrett looked like? I can tell you what he looked like as a young man. I couldn't tell you what he looked I, like as an older man. No. Well, I mean, there's pictures online. Post, but, I'd say post seventy five. No, I couldn't identify him. No, in but the that's crowd. what I'm, I'm saying. How did how did fans identify? Yeah, him? It depends. That's, that's I mean, saying, you know, there's say. there's some diehard fans who are know know the things about the man that you you don't know, yeah. and you know. I mean the same thing with me and Tull. I there's there's things I'm going to see that no one else in the audience will see. Yeah, you know. Um, but anyway, so their their first album, uh, "The Piper of the Gates of Dawn," was released in August of '67, and in 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 that in the summer of '67, there wasn't really, it, there wasn't the sound that that Piper was. It was like I said er, uh, earlier. It was it's a very psychedelic kind of album. Yes, it is. And it was really kind of groundbreaking at that time. I don't know what it, how it charted. I, it charted fairly well. I want to say in in UK, obviously not so much in the, the states. Are you looking it up? As I, I am because I can. I've got the album right here. Um, uh, yes. Sorry, I'm just scrolling down charts and certifications. Uh, six in the UK and 131 in the US, so, which makes sense because. I mean, the UK charts are very different because it's a smaller demographic. Yeah. So, and obviously, that kind of music had more of a following. Right. Oops. Like pulling my cord here. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely had more of a following in the UK right. than it did. But in ultimately, the US. any record label, no matter where they, what label it was, would want you'd want better numbers in the US. Yeah. And the, like I said, the the I think the thing one of the things that kind of hurt their US numbers was the fact that they abruptly ended their U.S. tour after a couple of shows. Uh-huh. And back then, that was the only way you could really, because there was no internet. There no. Was, you had trade magazines and your shows. That was yeah. it. That was how you got your name out there. Yeah. And if you've got these, the songs weren't, like, super long. But they really uh, weren't. They're not radio. I wouldn't say radio-friendly, because they're radio-friendly, but they're not. They don't translate well, and that's kind of Pink Floyd in general that I've noticed. I mean, later years well, they got better, the, but Piper is a different album. It is a very different because album. they've got they actually released a couple of different singles off of Piper. Mm-hmm. Well, and not, I shouldn't say off of Piper because there were there was two singles. See Emily Play was one. I don't remember the name of the other one that were released on the U.S. edition. That, so, yeah, I know which one that weren't know. released on the U.K. version, mm-hmm. and those two. Um, those two singles did pretty well. Well, he also released "Flaming" and "The Gnome." It says here, uh, singles from them. Uh, they were there was a, probably a, a, a seven those, inch. Those are rather strange songs, especially yeah. the gnome. Those probably seven inch. It was a, an A side and a B side, and it was released November second. But it's got some. It's got oh, couple, U.S. only. It's got a couple of really good songs on it. "Astronomy Domain" is a great song. It's That's a song, the one I like a lot. It's a song that they played. Pretty regularly throughout mm-hmm. their career, Interstellar Overdrive is another really That's good another song. That's another one I like. Uh, Lucifer Sam is a good I, song. I always liked Piper as a yeah. as a rule. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't remember Flaming, but I can understand I why they why they picked it though. Um, the Gnome isn't on there. I don't know. I don't see it on the track listing. But oh, there it is. Anyway, 
But Flaming and the Gnome are probably the short songs. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're shorter. two minutes, just yeah. over two minutes long each. Well, for the most part, the songs aren't that long. Obviously, no, Interstellar no. Overdrive is a long song. Yeah. Uh, well, nine minutes. It's, yeah. Or almost ten. But, but anyway, uh, Bike is another good song. It, 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 I like the song. It's a little weird. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a strange song. It, it's There's something catchy to it that I like. But outside of those four songs, the rest album, I can kind of go without. Mm. Just saying. Well, and I would point out that not only is Interstellar Overdrive a, a longer song, it's an instrumental. Uh-huh. It's a nine, almost ten minute long instrumental. Mm-hmm. Even your a lot of your progressive rock bands, which I... I know Pink Floyd's always kind of been lumped in with progressive rock. I don't see them as a progressive rock band. I feel, I, I see them as the first progressive rock band. I, see, they and I've seen them. Uh, it's arguable. Like I said, they they're on all the progressive rock lists, and they're people do see them. I see them more as like a, a psychedelic rock or art rock. Psychedelic rock, their first album, but outside of that, not so much. Yeah. See, I don't I don't get the same progressive vibes from their later albums that. They were definitely doing. I see. I were, see an art. Art. They were definitely doing rock. things that other bands weren't doing right. at the time. And if you go by that that's standard, kind of, that's that's progressive. Yeah, that's progressive. That's progressive it rock. is, I guess. But, but most uh, even pointing out, you wouldn't get a nine-minute instrumental or ten-minute instrumental from the vast majority of your even your your primary progressive rock bands. Even I mean, in '67, I mean, no one was doing that. Oh yeah, in '67, definitely. That's not. what I'm talking. about. I mean, progressive rock technically doesn't even exist until '71, maybe '70. A, a lot of people would say that Piper was the first progressive yeah. rock. There album. was a, a documentary that uh, MTV did. It was called Rock Legends, uh-huh. and I think it's Rock Legends. Yeah, and they did an episode strictly on in 1984. They mm-hmm. did a, a, a episode strictly on progressive rock bands of the '70s, '60s, and '70s. And yes, Piper was one they brought up as a progressive rock album. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, is Ian Anderson was the primary interviewer. That's how I've seen it. But yeah. that was actually the only time I ever, I, the first time I'd ever even heard of Piper. And that's mm-hmm. why I listened to it was because it was considered, I still to this day, I don't see Pink Floyd as a progressive rock band in the traditional sense. I guess you can look at, Piper as a progressive rock album. I see it more of a psychedelic an, album, but yeah. Well, I mean, once, once once you start blending genres, anyway, it gets it gets cause different. Because that's, you know? that's the thing when you, when you take a band like Pink Floyd, you almost have to look at it like multiple different bands, right? Because you've got the. I think that's true of a lot of those older bands, though. But you got the Sid Barrett era, oh. which was basically which was. Piper of the Gates of Dawn and one song off of Saucer Full of Secrets. And then you have this kind of transition period from Saucer through Omagama, where they were kind of trying to figure out what they were trying, what they wanted to do. They did a soundtrack. They did, you know. Is that more? More, yeah. But they did bits and pieces, pieces of other soundtracks and uh, just. Like I said, trying to figure out. So that's a whole different section. And then you've got that from from Adam Hart Mother, which was kind of the end of their really experimental uh, period, mm-hmm. through, I'd say, 
I guess you can go all the way through the final cut, which is eighty three, which is the last. Of which the is and, and that's and that's kind of where Roger Waters really took over the band. Right. That's a whole nother period because it's a completely different band, basically. Fair enough. Yeah. It's got the same people, but it's a very different. Style. Like I said, the, though, I, I the, noticed... music, the music came from a different wet area, and then from from momentary lapse of reason through the end that's of the a, band. That's a, that, I almost that, see those that's... as David Gilmore albums, to be honest. Almost, with you. yes, because they are very, very David Gilmore. And 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 to be fair, I I relate better to those albums than I do a lot of the earlier Pink Floyd stuff. And up until this past week, week and a half, I've never even listened to a Roger Waters solo song. Yeah. Which I just I just did. I listened to his last album. Deja Vu is a really good song. Yeah, and that's that's the one that stood out. It was a good song. But I've always related more to the, you know, Momentary Lapse of Reason, Division Bell era. Mm-hmm. Even though it's just two albums of a yeah. of a very extensive but career. Those two albums are very are vastly different because Momentary Lapse of Reason should have been a David Gilmore album. The, it probably because, it, it very much because is. I think Division Bell even as no, well to a, to Rick, a degree. Rick Wright and Nick Mason had very little to do with the creation of Momentary Lapse of Reason. Right. It was David Gilmore, his girlfriend at the time, and then a lot of uh, um, studio musicians mm-hmm. or people brought in to to be studio musicians. Right. And it wasn't really until Division Bell where Nick Mason and and Rick Wright really came back into the fold creatively. Right. And but that's still, why it, you can still like, hear it, that and there's that David Gilmore influence though. That's, oh, that's absolutely, primary absolutely. that's primary on momentary lapse. Of absolutely. Time. But it's overall package-wise Division Bell is a far superior album than Momentary I could argue that, but I would probably agree with you overall. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a much more cohesive album. Yeah. For sure, but anyway, going back to Piper because I was yeah. I was trying to start at the beginning. You know, the the title actually came from a chapter, actually chapter seven, actually of uh, Kenneth Graham's "The Wind in the Willows," which mm. I never knew that growing up, but I always thought that was kind of right because I I've always loved the name, "The Piper of the Gates of Dawn." I know, so I, me it's, too. It's, it's it's a great name. It is for an album. It is absolutely. Um, so second album came out was a Saucer Full of Secrets. It was released June of '68, and this was it was basically the end this is where the 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 songwriting of Sid Barrett ended obviously he still had a huge influence over the album and it's in it's also the album that has the only song that all five members played on mm. which is set the controls for the heart of the sun which i know the it's i the did, version i heard of it was just the the, the documentary i watched Played that. Uh, I'm assuming it was a live version of the song because it was it was video footage of them doing it. I think they really tried to play it up the the psychedelic. But uh, go go ahead and finish. Well, what it, that was the first time I'd ever heard that song, and it was in that documentary. And I think the part it's Roger Waters just repeating "Heart yes, of the Sun" over and over again. Yes, yeah. That's that's like a 30 second clip in that song. Okay, and they just played that over and over again in yes. that documentary. Yes, yeah, because that's yeah. not. It's a really good song. It really I, is. I probably have to listen to the the song itself. Um, just real quick, um, Saucer Full of Secrets charted worse than Piper. Of course it did. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, was, nine in the UK opposed to six and 158 opposed to 131. Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun is the best song off the album. Okay. Well, I, I don't know if I'd say that. 
It's either that or Let There Be More Light, which is a fantastic song. I think it's the first song off the album. Those two songs and Remember a Day are really the only redeeming songs on the album. Okay. Um, the title track, I've said since the first time I heard it, that it would be a great song to play in a haunted house because it's there's long stretches. It's How long is the song? Well, let's it's, find out. 18 minutes, 20 minutes, something like that. Let's find out. Oops, that's not the one I wanted. Uh, I need a track list. Um, it is 11 minutes and 57 oh, seconds. Oh, so it's not as long as I thought it was. It just seems longer. <laughs> but there's long stretches of the song where it's just like weird noises. Yeah. and like It's listed as an instrumental with wordless vocals by Wright and Gilmore. Yes. Wordless vocals. Yes. Yeah. So humming and just. Take that for what it is. Exactly. <laughs> but those three songs, Set the Controls for the Heart of the Sun, Let There Be More Light, Remember a Day. If you listen to those three songs, it's a quality album mm-hmm. for those. But uh, and it is the, the interesting thing, that album was the first album to use Hypnosis for the album cover. That's the the art group that did the, the album cover for Saucer. And Saucer actually has, I think we've talked about it before, it has... Um, who's the Marvel character on the front of it? It's Doctor not, Strange. Yeah, it's got Doctor Strange on the cover of it, which you can't really see. You have to look. You have to really Careful. look. He's on the right side, and it's got, I don't know who the other one is, Doctor Doom or whoever it is on the- I think it's Doctor Doom. Yeah. On, on the left side. But you really kind of have to look at it. But yeah, Hypnosis was, I think it was just two guys. I don't remember their names. Strom something. Um, Thorgensen. Strom Thorgensen. Thorgensen. Yes. Thorgensen. I was close. And, I, and I'm not looking at it's it. It's Storm. Just... It's, it's listed as Storm, but I think it's Strom. It's a uh, Swedish or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he, they did uh, they did a lot of their album covers through... Through... Um, I think the last one they did in the Roger Waters era was Wish You Were Here. Mm-hmm. He uh, Strom Thur- Thurgensen is he did... credited... He's a graphic designer. It did has done albums for I mean covers a lot of people Sabbath Peter Gabriel Yes Muse Ween Zeppelin Fish their their whole everything started with Saucerful Secrets yeah okay because he died in 2013 it was with that album cover that sparked his whole career Uh and really prior to that album very few album covers used any kind of abstract artwork and album covers typically had a picture of the band on it. Right, which typically, Piper was the only one that had the had the band members on the cover of the album. Everything else was some kind of abstract, kind of artwork. Right, and it was kind of like I said, it was something that just wasn't done at until that period, or before that period. But um, it was, and it was during the recording of Saucer, like I said earlier, that Sid had really had that that mental break. That uh, and it, it got to the point where he was even violent with girlfriends. There was a lot of other things, like I said, that people just kind of pushed aside. Oh, Sid being Sid, and uh, they they just couldn't rely on him anymore. Right. I'm sorry. I'm scrolling through just all the albums that Storm Storm, Storm Thurgensen has done. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't do Jesus Christ. No, though. but it's just un, an unbelievable amount of of very popular albums by very popular bands. That he did the album cover that for. That he did the album cover yeah, for. I mean, they're listed in alphabetical order by the band. Yeah. And 
the vast majority of these bands, at least the ones that you're aware of, um, he's, he's done, done a handful of their albums alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, he did almost all of Zeppelin's uh-huh. except for two, two, three, and four. Yeah. He did. They, he did all the other ones, including the first one, which is a very Sabbath, iconic album. Last cover. two Sabbath albums, he did all the first three solo albums with Peter Gabriel. He did all of the. All of the Pink Floyd stuff, mm-hmm. The Police, uh, Queen, he did their greatest hits, and um, Words of Love. Band Rainbow, he did uh, three of their albums. Rick Wakeman, Yes, Robert Plant, Roy Harper, Scorpions, did four of their albums. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of stuff. Sticks, um, did Sid, Sid Barrett's albums, too, and Roger... Um, David Gilmore's. Mm-hmm. Um, well, which David Gilmore albums did he do? Uh, the his first two solos, okay. one from seventy eight and eighty four. Their first, all, his first one, I actually just bought on vinyl. Oh, did you? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's not great, but uh, he only did two Yes albums, going for the one and Tormato. Okay, but Tormato's an interesting album cover. I mean, just, I mean, I'm just shocked. I clicked on him and just started scrolling through all his work. It's I'm amazing. Like, it's, it's, it's amazing what he's tons. done. Yeah, Wings band. I mean, did almost all the Wings albums. Mm-hmm. I think all the Wings albums. No, I, I was I was shocked also yeah. when but I started anyway. scrolling through yeah. and finding it. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. And like I said, it all kind of started with Saucer. Yeah. Um. So the 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 next album which I t- we touched on. And there's not a whole lot to say about it. More was, was it was actually a soundtrack for, um, I th- I want to say I don't. Oh, I can look at it. I'm trying to remember. I don't think it was French because the French movie was the soundtrack album. It was for a movie called More. I don't remember who did the movie though. That's all. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it was, that was released in June of uh, of '69, and it was really their first attempt at doing a, a soundtrack. And there's not. The Nile song is probably the best song off the album, and it's probably their hardest rock sound of their of their catalog. Huh. I was just looking at the movie more. It doesn't say what what nationality of the film is, but um, uh, it's about a young hitchhiker in Ibiza who has succumbed to heroin abuse with party scenes and drug taking. That's what the movie's about. Ibiza. Maybe that's why I was thinking foreign, but... Yeah. So anyway, continue. But it's uh, like I said, it's it's got a couple of okay tracks on it. It's not something that I listen to a whole lot. Right. The, the like I said, the Nile song is probably the best song off there okay. to listen to. Um, Umagama was it was Umagama was a really interesting album released in November of '69. So it was only what uh, a couple of months after More came out. Mm. And do you know what where the name of the album came from? Amagama? I know it because you told me. It's, oh, is that uh, what, it was? what uh, one of the band members referred to sex. No, it as. was a it was a roadie. Oh, a roadie. A no- That's what he called sex. Named Emo Moore. That uh, yeah, he said he, he he used to often say apparently that he was going to go back to the house for some Amagama. Referring to sex. Yeah, referring to sex. But it was it's an interesting album because it's a half studio album, half live and album. half live album. Right. And the the live half is actually a pretty good decent, yeah. a pretty decent live album the studio stuff there's really nothing redeeming there right it was it was you could definitely tell that they were really trying to figure out what the hell they were doing mm-hmm. 
I want and each each band member took their own section and did their own kind of song. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 definitely something that's worth a listen to, but it's it's not something I tend to go back and listen to often. Yeah, well, I mean, I've never listened to it, so to be fair, um, and, and Amagama and more are really pretty widely regarded as some of their worst. Well, and music. I mean, they both came out the same year. Mm-hmm. You know, so that it would be kind of a snapshot of a period of time for yeah. that for them as a group. So that makes sense. And then Adam Hart Mother, Adam Hart Mother was released in October of seventy, mm-hmm. and it, it's actually kind of interesting. They were, I'm trying to remember the, what the one of the original names of the album was something Pudding. It had something to do with Pudding, but I don't remember what it was. And so the the band, the the actual name Adam Hart Mother came from an article in the evening standard and it was a story about a 56 year old woman constant constance liddell i think is, is what i have written on here at least um who had been fitted with a radioactive plutonium pacemaker huh outside of that i'm not really sure what the article was about but anyway on in in july of 70 pink floyd was at a recording studio uh, recording session for a dj um john peel was the dj but anyway during the during a break from the from the session, the band was kind of sitting around, going back, throwing ideas around for what to call this album they were working on. And uh, Jeff Griffin, who was a BBC producer, was in the room with them and told Roger, hey, you can probably find the title in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And he looked through there and found, you know, the name of the, t- the, the title of the, of the article was called Adam Hart Mother Named. Yeah. So that's where he... he Adam Hart Mother and kind of stuck with him. So it was yeah. the I kind of like I like the title. Yeah. It almost seemed to be a cool name for a band. And uh it was it was really interesting cuz the 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 studio didn't like it wasn't the name of it. The studio didn't like the artwork mm-hmm. cuz it's just a cow. Right. The the name of the band isn't anywhere. The name of the album isn't anywhere front or back. It just it is what it is. And right. it just, and it's now I I think that cow is kind of like an I an iconic. I I look at it. I know it's Pink Floyd. I mean, yeah. I, I've always known it as Pink Floyd. Um, but I always look at it and think, "Huh, Blink One Eighty Two, Dude Ranch." Yeah, I don't. Yeah, just, I, wonder, I, I never thought about it. I wonder if that's really kind of the influence. angle there. But I mean, there's their their names on the cover of that. Yeah, and that's everything. true. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. But that's obviously that wouldn't have been the case. Before that album, before I was aware of that album, yeah. But um, I've always known about the that being a Pink Floyd album. The songs "If" and um, "Fat Old Son," I think, are probably the two best songs out there. "Fat Old Son," it's a definitely a more kind of traditional rock, something, sure, something sure. you would expect from David you know, Gilmore from nineteen seventy. Yeah, and David Gilmore, you know, ni- nineteen seventy rock. It, it, there's a song on there, "Summer of '68," mm. which is it, the song is actually about an encounter. And I use encounter in quotes that uh, Richard Wright had with a groupie. Uh, yeah, you can imagine what that encounter was. <laughs> but the uh, the outtakes from another soundtrack that they were working on, uh, Zabriskie Point. Which I guess three of their songs actually made it on, but the outtakes from what they're working on, and it kind of evolved into the song "Adam Hart Mother," which I think is what twenty three minutes long. Twenty three minutes and yeah. forty four seconds. So and it's th- probably the longest song they've got so far. That, and maybe the longest they have total, but it's the longest one we've come across so far. It, 
either it's either that or Echo is Echo is my, is pretty mm, close to that also. But anyway, that. Adam Hart Mother took up the entire first side of the album. Yep. And there's another long song on here on the second side. Yeah, it's not like super long. It's what 13 13 minutes, minutes yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it's in another instrumental. Which again, it's not It's not instrumental. Well, it says instrumental with speech by Alan Styles. Yes. So that song, which is Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast, is that what yep. it is? Mm-hmm. So that whole song in, in <laughs> David Gilmore is actually quoted as saying that that this album is a bunch of weird shit. And that's basically what that song is. That song is a 13-minute track of a man making breakfast and talking. There's no music in it? No, there's no music in it. Then how is it listed with actual writers? They didn't do anything. Like, But he's like, you can hear the sizzle from the pan. He's making breakfast. And what makes it psychedelic? Nothing. It's just, like David Gilmore said, a bunch of weird shit. That's kind of what that track is. Okay. But it, it, it's it's on that album that I feel the musically the band really kind of started finding itself. Yeah. And you, you could definitely see them finally moving on from the Sid Barrett era to what the band would become. And you definitely saw that in Metal, which was released in November 71. I think it is... Outside of the top four, outside of the big four albums, outside of Dark Side of the Moon, Wish You Were Here, Animals, and Wall, Metal is hands down the the best album outside of those. Uh-huh. Um, Echoes and Fearless are two of the best songs they ever recorded. And Echoes is actually shorter than... Uh, How long is Echoes? It's 2331. Yes, it goes to 2344. Yeah, it's, I knew it was long. It's the entire second side of the album. Yep. But Fearless is a fantastic song. Uh, One of These Days is also a really fantastic song. Definitely, those three songs are definitely the, the, the best of that album. And like I said, the, this album was kind of, was definitely a turning point. They had really kind of gotten away with away from all that psychedelic stuff. All the really like crazy outlandish stuff. Alan's Psychedelic Breakfast that was on Adam Hart Mother. Right. And they had really, you could see them moving towards what was going to be, and they, at this point they had already started working on what would become Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. The, the, in, in, well, it, it, in 72, because they released Metal in November of 71, June of 72, they released Obscured by Clouds, which was their second attempt at making a full soundtrack album. In the, this is the French song, the French movie I was trying to think of. The French movie was I'm Terrible with This Ship. Laval, it's V A L L E E, Laval, by Barbette Schroeder. Is that how you say it? I where I, I, I kind of got lost to what we're talking about. I'm talking about Scared by Clouds. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll tell you here in a second. That's what I'll get written down here. But anyway. Uh, but anyway, they so they they record this Valet or yeah, I yeah. Don't know. So they record this this soundtrack, and they get in a dispute with the with the publisher of the movie, and they're like, you know what, screw it, we're just gonna release it as their own album, right? So they renamed it Obscured by Clouds and and released it. Mm. And this is they had like I said when they were working on after the metal the the tour from after metal. And while they were doing Obscured by Clouds is when they started recording, and, and not recording, but working on a project that they called Eclipse that would end up being Dark Side of the Moon. Dark Side of the Moon, right. 
Um, on Obscured by Clouds is still a pretty decent album. Mud Men is a good song. I was going to say, I, I don't know any of these songs. I never, What's I Oh I've The Deal is also a really great song. Those are probably the two best songs in that album. Right. It's, and, and of course, it's definitely a de- departure from what they were doing on metal. Um, probably because there were, it was a soundtrack. So the songs are definitely a lot shorter, a lot more concise. Um, de- none of the like long, drawn-out kind of songs. And then, of course, you get into Dark Side of the Moon, which was released in March 73, ended up being the greatest selling album for a very long time right. until Thriller came out. And 10 it, years. And it was it spent an incredible 741 weeks, which is a little over 14 years on the Billboard Top 100. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is probably- And I don't get that. I mean, it, I, it's a good album, but I just don't get that, you know, that that extreme- success i mean it's a good album and i last year was 2019 it was on the billboard chart last year yeah i know i mean it pops in same uh the eagles uh their uh, greatest hits does that too yeah pops in and out of the charts which i think is now number one for the greatest selling album of all time uh, it's either number one or number two i think it's number one because dark side's number three now yeah i'm pretty sure i want to say the eagles beat them they have number one but and like I said, it's a good Dark Side's a good album, but I just I don't get that. There's songs on there they're good, but they're not blowing my mind so much to the extent that I think, you know, that it I just don't I don't get it. And then and I don't have to get it. I just, yeah. you know I like the album, I like the songs on it. I don't have to understand this the, the popularity of the success of it. I but, think I think time is is time is one of the best songs ever recorded. I would never go that far. I would definitely go that far. It's not the best, but it's definitely fucking up there. It's an incredible think, song. The, the, see, you can't really quantify that. That's an opinion. Of course, of course, because it's, it's different to everyone. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but Dark Side of the Moon, there's not a bad song on the album at all. Obviously, Money. Money is a song that's way overplayed. Yeah. And but like I said, it's definitely not even the best song on the album. Um, no. It's probably fourth. I think time, us and them. I like us and them a lot. And brain damage are the and top. breathe. Breathe is probably another one. So yeah, I mean, money's a good. Maybe it's because of how how overplayed it is. Is why you don't like it. It's not that I don't like it because, like I said, there's no there's not a bad song on the album. Right. No, I I get it. It's my same problem I have with Aqualung. Yeah. So. And it just musically overall, it's it's. It's a perfect album musically. Uh-huh. The way it's constructed, the way it's played. There's just it's it's timing. There just wasn't anything else like that before you know 73. Right. And like I said, it, it, obviously they did something right for it selling the way it did. I guess. And I it's mean, not it's nothing you can't so, argue with and, that. And, and and I know people and you've made and you've even said it before equate the 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 sales to drug use and things like that. They had much more drug related albums. True. But I think it's, there's there's nothing, I think there's nothing trippy to it. What my point, what I, the point I would have made or was trying to make when I would say that is that this one, this is a drug album that's musically accessible to the masses. It's not a drug album. No, but if it, but the band is perceived as a drug band. So this album is but going def- to be perceived. I'm talking about people who don't, who aren't 
aware of this. They the same people who would think that, you know, Ozzy Osbourne's a devil worshiper. The the same type of mentality involved there. They see it as the drug album, but the music's accessible. I can oh I, I like that song a lot time and I like that song money. So it's it's the album that you would get the person who smokes who's never smoked weed before to buy that album and then try weed. You know what I mean? And Dark Side of the Moon was really their first attempt at a concept album. Yeah. I don't know. I can't I don't know what the concept is. Each song on the album focuses on a different aspect of life. You know, money obviously is about wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, us and them is about war. Uh, time is about sw- uh, squandered existence. Um, great gig in the sky is about death. So, like, uh, just uh, just a different aspect of life. And it's like I, I, looking back on it, I don't really consider it a concept album. Not like obviously, wish you were here. Animals for sure. And the wall the for wall, sure. Right. I think those three albums were progressively. It's an, it's more, an early attempt at a concept album. Yeah, we'll say okay. But "Wish You Were Here" is definitely there's a, definitely a, a a concept to that, and uh, "Wish You Were Here" released in September of '75. It's their most popular album. I'm sorry, not they're not mo- not their most popular. Their second most popular album, um, behind "Dark Side of the Moon," obviously. And really wish you were here is more popular than the wall. The wall is the wall is the highest selling double album of all time. But as far as like popularity goes, I think wish you were here is more popular. See, I, than I the would wall. think that if you mentioned to just walk up to a random stranger and you say, name me two albums by the wall, by Pink Floyd, they're going to do dark side. They're going to do the oh, wall. Yeah, Cause I don't think wish you were here would come up in the, in the list. By just the casual person. You and me, maybe, wish you were here, I'd say, but, eh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond was a song that would pop up, and, and if you- I name, would think the title a song track, that's not on the wall, or, or- I would think Wish You Were Here would be- Yeah, maybe, because that was yeah. the guts, it still gets a lot of radio It play, still but, does. It, but it Shine does. On You Crazy Diamond is a very popular song. Oh, of course. And Shine On You Crazy Diamond 1 through 5 is better than the 6 through 9. <laughs> Fair enough. But anyway, there's not a bad song. Every song on that album is an incredible song. Right. And I think Wish You Were Here is obviously the best song off that album. It's probably their most played song off that album. And the concept behind that album was just, for the most part, greed of the music and and record industry. Mm -hmm. Um, The song Have a Cigar which is a really good song. It's the only Pink Floyd song not sung by a member of the band. It's actually sung by Roy, Roy Harper. Harper. Yeah. And um, and there's different stories of why that is. Uh, one of the stories goes that, because uh, obviously it was written by Roger Waters. Roger Waters has a very strong dislike for the people that run the music industry. Mm. And the name of the song, <clears throat> there's actually a line in the song, the song is loosely based on real life. Okay. It was uh, that they had gone in, met with a record producer, and going back and forth, and the record producer's like, hey, you know, have a cigar, we're going to make lots of money, and later in the conversation, the record producer's like, hey, by the way, which one's pink? 
thinking that one of the band members. He had, he had no fucking clue anything about the band. Right. And just and that, and that kind of fed into all this hatred that 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 just Roger the artificialness, had for, of yes. it, the fakeness. And of it. so he wrote this song against the the record industry. And David Gilmore didn't have the, didn't share the same feelings. So that's why he didn't want to sing the song. I guess there is a recorded version of a duet version of it with Roger and and David singing it together. But uh, uh, Roy Harper ended up was in the studio next door recording an album, and it was over there talking one day, and he actually just sang the song. Hmm. And uh, but Roy Harper, it's it's meant for him being the record executive singing to or talking to the band. Hmm. So it's it's definitely a, it's a great. So song. they rewrote the lyrics a little bit to to change the perspective of the no, song. No, no, no. It's the same lyrics. Okay, it's the same lyrics. It's just a different. They used a different voice to show from a different perspective. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, yeah, like I said, there's there's not a bad song off the album. Mm-hmm. No, I like that album a lot. <coughs> Excuse me, tickling my throat. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I should be for the amount of talking I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just letting you go. I'm letting you enjoy your your time. So yeah, because this is this is something I really enjoy talking about. My, because I normally sit around and talk to my wife about it, and she's like, "Yeah, I don't really give a shit." My wife fucking hates Pink Floyd, so yeah. Anyway, hence why I'm going to see Roger Waters by myself, right? <laughs> Which is gonna be really interesting because I would have gone with you, but I, I'm not spending that kind of money. I'm I don't, sorry. I don't like eating by myself, let alone going to a concert. But it's gonna be interesting. Yeah, I did read something on. I was reading an article online that was like uh, six reasons why it's great to go to a concert by yourself, and it was like. You know, one of them was talking about, you know, if you feel like out of place, he goes like, well, most people don't even know you're, you're not there by yourself. And there's like, there they were like, well, if somebody notices, just say you're there from a local paper, you know, covering the right. concert or whatever. So I don't know. I never thought it's, of it. I've gone to a concert by myself before. Yeah. I went and saw Ross at at uh, Hill Auditorium in Ann Arbor. Okay. This is this is pretty sweet show. though, because I'm gonna be twenty like twenty rows from the stage. So I was in the front it. row for that show, so I could have pulled off the whole like I'm here writing a review, <laughs> a review of the band. I could have pulled that off, but I didn't. I didn't care. I just yeah. I enjoyed. Yeah, I was there to enjoy myself. So, uh, so the next album that came out was Animals, released in uh, January '77, which is a fantastic album. Yeah. Well, this is I, an I, album where the concept is extremely obvious too. Is it? What's the what's well, the concept? To a degree, I mean, it's it's the. Uh, well, I don't. I guess I don't know, but I mean, the, every song is, is 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 an animal. Yes, and I think every song is representing a human it slash is. animal concept. No, or each song is representing an individual that's in power running England at the time. Okay, well, I knew there was some animal to human ratio. There is. There. There's speculation on three of them. Uh, he mentions White House in one. I don't remember the ladies for the person's first. I think it's a female. I don't remember their first name, but I know their last name is White House, obviously. So that's a pretty obvious one. You can well, go- there's Mary White House. She was a uh, Christian fundamentalist who tried to get basically all music and movies banned off of TV. Everything was that he, in the UK or it was in the UK. So maybe that maybe that's what it is. Then. They made a movie about her called Filth. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's it, it might be it, and then it's uh, speculated that another one's Margaret Thatcher. I don't know who the. I don't know where she, Margaret Thatcher wasn't um, prime minister yet, though. No, so I don't know where where she was in the. But like I said, it's, it's different. I think it's Margaret Thatcher. She, I mean, she obviously was a minister or something. Yeah. Obviously. So it, it's but each song is specifically pointing at a different person running uh, England at the time. Right. 
Oh, there you go. There's the concept part right there. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Uh, using George Orwell's Animal Farm as a, as a point yes. of uh, yes. to begin with. The, uh, the album was actually supported by the largest stadium tour of all time at that time. So that's kind of interesting. Hmm. It was the In the Flesh tour. Is, is... Did you find it in there? I'm still scrolling through. It's uh, a long concept. Dis- well, it doesn't really break. It doesn't break it down on what what the songs are, who the songs might be. Oh, uh, I think uh, you're right. I think it is Mary, Mary Whitehouse. Whitehouse. It, it, okay. Yeah. Only one directly identified is morality campaigner Mary Whitehouse, okay. who, amongst other things, is described as a house proud town mouse. Yes. So, um, I I'm aware of her because she. Went after Doctor Who in the late seventies mm-hmm. very strongly. Now we're talking about a science fiction program, and she considered it too violent for children. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, but you know, it's the seventies. It was the seventies, yeah. But I mean, she was. I I and to be fair, I actually knew about her even kind of before I was into Doctor Who because I saw the movie Filth uh-huh. uh, before I saw even knew what Doctor Who was to be honest with you, but or at least was it was in my sphere. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, that's that's funny because she is not yeah, I, she's I, not well regarded regarded in in the history of you know gotcha. she's almost a joke to the gotcha. to today. So I think I think dogs is the best song off that album. It's def, I think dogs is probably one of my top five. Yeah, no, I, li- I like dogs because well, I like the guitar. I like dogs I. too. I got three of them. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to take this seriously, we could just we could just quit right now. Do we? Do I ever take anything seriously? <laughs> I'm just playing devil's advocate here. But so. there's, that's another album where there's not a bad song on it. Yeah. You know, Pigs on the Wing, one and two, a great song. Sheep's a great song. Dog's a great song. So is Pigs. Mm. So take yeah. a pick. Right. So, um, and like I said, at the time, it was the largest stadium tour in history. At the time. At yeah. the time. Yeah. And like I said earlier, was the, the the last show in Montreal is where the, the wall concept came from. Mm. And uh, it, it was really during this time that the band really kind of disintegrated um (laughs) during the in the flesh tour roger would show up in his own helicopter while the band came in a limo from different i mean they were staying in different hotels everything it was they would show up at shows and that was kind of it Uh, they they weren't even they're barely in speaking terms i guess at the time i can't search what something is about but i can search by title actors or directors and categories like horror or action. I don't know what I hit on my watch. <laughs> well, my it's, wa- my, it was listening. I was gonna say it was listening and, and had a little glitch in it and wanted you to clarify what you were saying. But so. Uh, yeah, so it, it, this was kind of like the beginning of, of the, the end. end. Yeah, and then the wall, which was released in November of '79, which was just a couple months after, after I was born. But um, the, the wall ended the band. It was yeah. it was during the Was that the only album that Bob Ezrin produced for them? I believe so. Okay. Cuz I know Alan Parsons produced uh Dark Side, Dark of, the Side of the Moon. Bob Bob Ezrin actually played a lot of the piano parts on that too. Okay. Well, he, the only reason I ask is cuz Bob Ezrin produced the vast majority of Alice Cooper's albums. Yeah. So um and Bob Ezrin so when during the beginning of the creation of the album when they in the very early stages Bob Ezrin actually took all of Roger Waters' ideas and wrote, it, it wasn't a script, but like a 30-page story. Treatment kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. to kind of keep the whole concept together. Because yeah. it's a massive idea. 
and it's he was just kind of keeping I figured if you put everything on page on paper it would help kind of the creative process mm-hmm. and it, early on it, the band and I think Roger Waters takes a lot of the blame for it but David Gilmore and Nick Mason had equal hands to play in it was the firing of Richard Wright mm-hmm. and at this point Richard Wright had substance abuse issues He'd gone through divorce and at this point wasn't a functional member of the band. He was no longer involved in the creative he process. He was, yeah, wasn't contributing. Correct. Okay. So, you know, he, he was there in the beginning. He was fired um, by Roger by Roger Waters and Bob Ezrin ended up playing a lot of his parts mm-hmm. on the album. And then they, they end up hiring or bringing Rick Wright back. For the tour, for the which it was an abbreviated tour anyway, for the pr- production size of it. I want to say they had shows in New York, L.A., and like one other area. I don't remember if it was in Florida or where it was, but anyway, they had a very limited touring schedule. So uh, Rick Wright came on as like a session musician for the tour, right? Which I guess he he said he was the only one that made money on the tour because of production. Because they paid they paid, they paid him, him as a session musician. Yeah. That makes sense. But, uh, and it was really kind of Roger Waters' overbearing kind of creative process that kind of led to a lot of the tension on the band. I can see that. Because Roger Waters, by all accounts, seems like a very focused, I guess is maybe the best way to say it, person. And David uh, David Gilmore and Nick Mason are kind of like polar opposites. They're the kind I of can the, see that very kind of very laid back. Laid back and they just and, want to kind yeah. of come in Lucy, and do, do their thing. And Nick Mason came in and recorded almost all of his tracks early on in the uh, process. And he, so there was a lot. There were some of the songs in the album he, on the album he didn't even play drums on because Roger Waters felt that Nick wasn't capable of playing those drum parts. There's really not. I don't think there's anything overly complex about the I don't parts. think so either. And I think that kind of all played into this. Right. They were kind of coming in separately and recording their own parts and then right. being done with it. And uh, like I said, it's the highest grossing double album of all time. And it just, it seemed like pulling teeth putting this whole damn album together. Mm. But the fun, the finished product is phenomenal. I think right. it's definitely one of their best. It's it's. I would put it... Like, if I had to rank them, it would probably be, for me, their third best album. Well, it's the one that I'm most familiar with, obviously, because going back, uh, for better or worse, and I'm sure my my dad listens to this, to our show, but he had a bootleg copy of of The Wall, the movie, Mm -hmm. and... I watched that a bunch of times when I was probably not old enough to be watching that. I mean, I was like five, six, four, five, or six. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing that movie a bunch of times at that age, at that early of an age. So my familiarity with it obviously started with the movie and then, of course, went to the album. So, my, I mean, I know The Wall quite well as a, as a, as a, as a work mm-hmm. because of that, because it goes back a long time. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. The ones that's an album I can probably like give you like top whatever songs. Hey, you, I love Hey, you. Mm-hmm. I've always that's the one song I can listen to over and over again. 
Run Like Hell, love it. Comfortably Numb, love Run it. Run Like Hell is, is generally the song they end their shows with. At least yeah. they used to when they toured as a band. Yeah. Um, I, I love, and those are songs. I was going to say that might be the song that, that I could see the drumming be a little bit more complex, but not mm. even really. No. I don't, still, I don't think so. I like I, I liked the vocals in the song. I think Comfortably Numb is probably the best song on the album. Right. Like the second guitar solo on Comfortably Numb, I think, is one of the the best guitar solos in rock. Uh, again, can't quantify that. But I mean, is, David Gilmour has a very distinct guitar playing style. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, it's it's hard. The, the session musicians that Roger Waters has brought in over the years for tours have had a very hard time even coming close to replicating his sound. Right. So, I mean, there's, it's, when you hear a guitar solo, a David Gilmore guitar solo, you, you, you can pick it out of a hat. You know, right. you, you know exactly where, well, where it Well, good from. guitarists have a signature, I think, but the vast majority. The song Comfortably Numb seems to be, like, where the biggest riff comes from between David and Roger. Okay. Because David, David wanted a darker, heavier guitar sound, and Roger felt that it didn't fit with that it didn't fit with the overall album because you know Roger's writing the lyrics, but you know uh, David's kind of putting in his guitar he's adding, sound. He's adding music. I yeah. mean, he's, he's and, listed it, as a co-writer on several songs and Empty Spaces. He wrote alone. From looks like well, obviously not the lyrics, but yeah. the uh, and if you go back, no, it doesn't even specify the lyrics. He he wrote. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're you're fine. You're fine. So, but if you go back and listen to david's like live recordings of comfortably numb you get a better sense of what he wanted the song to sound like right and the live version of comfortably numb off of pulse is fantastic it's probably the best that song has ever sounded okay and i'm sorry i was miss my vision isn't very good it's uh, not empty spaces uh, Young Lust and Goodbye Blue Skies, which actually Goodbye are, Blue Skies is a fantastic, is a fantastic song. song, and Young Lust is too. It's another it one that's kind of a you know stands out in my memory because when that's playing in the film is when all that rioting is going on in the film, and I don't even to this day I don't remember what the rioting was all about. Uh, it's been it's probably been how old am I? Forty? Yeah. So it's probably been. 25 years since I've no, seen it's the been, movie. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've watched it, too. But like I said, I remember watching it when I was very young, you know, three, four, five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so my memories go back that far. Probably the very first time I ever saw a woman naked, too, because that woman um, gets topless in that scene. Yeah. You know, and I'm like I said, I was watching that when I was a little kid. I turned out all right. <laughs> One of my turns is another great song off that album, but yeah. uh, but that was it. That's kind of all I had about the wall. It's it's a fantastic album, obviously, and I I do I have I have the movie. I just haven't watched, watched it. it. Yeah. Uh, There's actually a couple songs I'm seeing on this that I don't remember listening to. Like what? Vera. Oh, Vera's a fantastic. Vera's actually about a real person. Okay. Vera was a woman during World War II. Um, she was a singer. She was a really popular singer dur- during World War II. That, uh, 
Because huh. the uh, the recurring theme of war and his father dying in the war plays on throughout the album. Right, obviously. So that's why you've got Vera and then what's the next song? Bring the Boys Back Home? Is that what? Uh, yep, bring the yeah, bring the boys back home. Yeah, those songs kind of bleed into one. Oh, I mean the whole album. Well, whole bleeds. album bleeds, and and even like happiest days of our lives, which is right between the two, uh, another brick in the wall. I'm sure if I heard it, I would remember it because yeah. it's just a musical interlude. But I don't. Yeah, but I don't really remember it. Vera Lynn was a real person. Okay, that's what that song's about. Gotcha. I just yeah. don't remember that. I just don't remember yeah, the song. Yeah, Vera's a good song. Like, there's not. For a long time, I really felt like The Wall was an overrated album. Well, I feel that way about the band as a whole, but I would say I'm slightly more forgiving of it than I used to be. Yeah. But when you go through, and The Wall is one of those albums where it's really hard to just sit and pick and choose songs. Well, you can't. You have to listen to the whole thing. And when you listen to the whole thing and you listen to it in order, there's... And a very obvious story that plays along through it. Right. I mean, he, he, starting at the beginning through chi- from from his dad dying to childhood and going through school and dealing with his mother to growing up and, and becoming a, a rock star and dealing with all that stuff and dealing with groupies and and just kind of the break, the mental break that he goes through and and creating the wall and separating himself from the rest of society. It's a very laid out song. It's a very laid out story when you listen to the whole thing right. chronologically. Yeah. No, it's definitely an album you listen to all the way you listen to as a whole. Yeah. For sure. And it's one that I, uh, you know, a couple of months back, I probably listened to it. I just, I had the entire album on repeat and I probably listened to it five times in a row right. over the course of one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the final cut comes out uh, March of '83. I've never listened to this album. It's it shouldn't have been a Pink Floyd album. It really should have been a Roger a Waters. Roger Waters solo album. And as far as tracks go on it, I uh, it's been a while since I've listened to it, but it's there are some good songs on it. The um, Southampton Docks is a good song. Um, I'm just kind of like scrolling down through it. The Fletcher Memorial Home is the best song off the album, in uh-huh. my opinion. Two, uh, Two Sons in the Sunset. It's good. Uh, you know, I, I feel like at that point, so the whole, the whole concept to that album is the Falklands War. Right. And Rogers displeasure of that whole the whole fiasco fiasco that it was that's what the whole album is about well because it was that's that's the the empire still trying to hold on to its empire yes so that's the concept behind the final cut and uh after that is where the when the lawsuits came in and and the whole between the band yeah between the band the whole kind of thing fell apart Hmm. yeah it said here um david gilmore felt many of the tracks were not worthy of inclusion but um, and but Waters accused him of failing to contribute material himself. Yeah, and it says Nick Mason's contributions are mostly limited to sound effects. Yep. So it's basically a Roger Waters concept album. Right. Right. So, but then they 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 come back with a momentary lapse of reason in '87, right. which was a big return for him. It was I mean, even. I mean, I was I was eight years old when that mm-hmm. came out, and I I remember. 
the hype surrounding that album. Yeah. No. You said your stepfather at the time was a... He's a, yeah, he was a huge Pink Floyd fan, and when this album came out, it was on a lot in the house, for sure. And rightfully so. It is a good album. It is a good album. And then, of course, I mean, Learning to Fly had the uh, the music video, yeah. which was, you know, had heavy rotation on MTV mm-hmm. back when MTV was a music video station. <laughs> I think Learning to Fly is the best song on the album. Um, oh, Bob, no, Ezra, Bob I, Ezrin did that album also, because he? Um, he has a lot of writing credits. Yeah. Dogs of War is a good song. Yeah, Dogs of War is definitely a good song. Um, oh, On the Turning Away is a, a new machine. Song. I love a new machine. That's a good song. I'm sure you do. What? Yeah, I just bought a new machine. <laughs> it's called a car. Touche, uh. touche. <laughs> um, but the the remastered, not remastered, but the 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 version of Momentary Lapse of Reason that they just released last year in the later years box set. Uh-huh. So Nick Mason kind of went through, him and David Gilmore went through, kind of cleaned up the album a little bit, and Nick Mason redid his drumming parts. Uh-huh. And that version of On the Turning Away, I think, is a better version than the original right. album version. Which I don't. I was going to listen to the two different versions, and I, I don't think I have yet. No, no I know I did. I know I haven't. So, But, uh, yeah, uh, Sorrow is a good, a good song also. Yeah, no, you're right. No, I didn't. That is a good one too. But uh, and then you've got Division Bell released in March of '94. Obviously, was a gigantic fucking yeah, album. it was huge. Yeah. Uh, by the way, returning to '70s Pink Floyd, I'm pretty sure Pink Floyd is the only artist in the '70s that had the number one selling album for two separate years. Hmm. Okay. Because obviously Dark Side of the Moon was the biggest sell- highest selling album in 73. The Wall was in... 79. Uh, in 79. Okay. But uh, yeah, on to... Uh, yeah. Division Bell well, see, was... It says Division Bell is the album that Polly Sampson wrote. You're right, it was. Many of the lyrics. It was. I, I, I thought she did on uh, Momentary Last, but I guess not. It was Bob Ezrin that co-wrote yeah. a lot of the songs on there. But yeah, Polly wrote a lot of... Polly wrote all the lyrics on Division Bell. Yeah. But there's a bunch. Uh, what Do You Want From Me is a great song. Maroon's good. Uh, a Great Day for Freedom. The I think the best two songs in the album are the last two. Lost for Words and High I Hopes. Hopes. Yeah. No, I, I was the first Pink Floyd album I ever owned myself, personally. Did you have the Blinking Light CD version? No, I just had the regular plastic case cd version. okay because you can still buy the ones with the because i remember them being in the store i do i remember that too but no i had the, the, I, the batteries are replaceable so yeah the version i had was just the regular plastic cd case version but yeah, yeah it was the first it was the first pink floyd album i ever owned ever and yeah that, that album was huge that year i remember art, news articles it's on mm-hmm. you know Look at it this way. So the, the, the major music charts in the world, UK, Australia, Austria, Canada, France, Germany, uh, New Zealand, uh, the Netherlands, Switzerland, and the US. Mm-hmm. Out of all of Pink Floyd's albums, do you know the one album that was the only album that was number one in all those? Was it Division Bell? It was Division Bell. Yeah. It was the only one that was number one in all of them. The wall was close. The wall was number one in everything, but the UK it was number three. Huh. It was a little. It was a little uh, um, judgmental of British <laughs> society <laughs> maybe, to a degree. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Division Bell was number one all across the board. Hmm. 
But uh, and I feel like, like I said earlier, I think Division Bell is a far superior album than what Momentary Lapse was, just because it was had more inclusion from the other band members. So it was more along the lines of how they recorded, say, metal, Adam Hart Mother, right, with with full incorporation musically from the entire band. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, Endless River, which was their last album released after uh, Rick Wright died. So, Division Bell was supposed to be a double album. Mm -hmm. They they took David Gilmore and Nick Mason took the leftover tracks from the Division Bell sessions, took Rick Wright's piano, and recorded an entire album around those tracks. Mm And that's what the Endless River ended up being. The Endless River was it rele- was released November of 2014, 20 years after Division Bell was released. And it was an album kind of to celebrate Rick Wright's life and what Rick Wright meant to Pink Floyd. Because mm. even though he wasn't the biggest, most recognized person, Rick Wright was kind of the heartbeat of what Pink Floyd was throughout its most popular popular uh, years right and uh and, and so uh endless river is more ambient uh more ambient music I don't, I don't like the term ambient it just it's softer more in, uh it's all instrumental except for the last track on the album which is the last track on the album is actually a really good track louder than words yeah and uh yeah and it's it was a single too oh was it mm-hmm. and that's the other thing from what 68 Pink Floyd didn't have didn't release a single from 68 until another brick in the wall part 2 yeah was released as a single i think in either 79 or 80 that's you know you go 12 years without having a single and you have this hugely successful financial period right and then they they just well, re- no, I would say that Pink Floyd is one of those bands that that is hugely popular despite themselves. Okay, yeah, because they don't they don't make music to be mass consumed. They make the music for themselves, yeah. and for their fans, yeah. and, which is how music should be. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's generally it's the it's the exact opposite. Yeah, especially it's, if you listen to pop music today, it's yeah. meant to just be consumed and then thrown away. And then yeah, for sure. And then they they just released in 2019, November 2019, the later years, uh-huh. which is a great box set. It's got a lot of really great live stuff, live videos on there. It's got the Nebworth concert on there from early 90s. Um, it's got uh, a lot of like cleaned up audio from Delicate Sound of Thunder, uh-huh. uh, some 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 stuff off of Pulse, and it's uh, the they released a compilation best of. The later years box set on vinyl. I think it's a, it's also available on. So I mean, really, it's it, the best of three albums, correct? But it's uh, it's a best of from all the live stuff and all that oh, stuff. Okay. Yeah. And I it's not those. there's there's nothing on the later years vinyl that they released or CD that they released uh, outside of the box. There's nothing in the box set from that's from. Division Bell and Momentary Lapse. Okay. It's all stuff that's re-edited, redone, like freshened up. Right. But the 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 later years vinyl, it's a fantastic album. 
I mean, the the day I bought it, I probably listened to it three or you know, at least three or four times. Oh, okay. But it's got like great. It's got great live versions of "Comfortably Numb" on there. I wish you were here. Um, it's got some of the. It's got um, a couple of tracks off of "Momentary Lapse." Oh, overall, it's a really good album. But anyway, Pink Floyd's got this big, long, drawn-out history, and it seems like a lot of times people focus on, like I said earlier, the the stuff that happened with Sid and the the psychedelic aspect that went on early on in their career, and I think a lot of the rest of it kind of gets forgotten. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's my oral history of, <laughs> <laughs> of, Pink Floyd. of Pink Floyd. And it was about an hour and a half? Yeah. Because we really didn't fuck around. We jumped right into it, too. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's actually shorter than I thought it was. I figured this was going to be like a two-hour episode. Oh, right? Okay. I'm kind of glad it's not. No, because <laughs> I'm tired. I mean, yes. it could be. I, it I, could be, but I, well, yeah, because I kind of breezed through the post, the post Waters albums. Yeah, well, I mean, there's really just two of them. If you're, I mean, if you're not counting live, I mean, you did cover yeah. the live a little bit, but there's just really the two, and then yeah. three if you want to count on this river. So, yeah. but it's it's Pink Floyd is one of those bands where yes, they've got some very overplayed songs, and. But there's so much more to the band music, and I think that's true of a lot of the good, the greats. You know, when when you're talking about great bands, and and there's no arguing that Pink Floyd's a great band, and even if I don't necessarily uh, and like him as much as you know, say you or anyone else, but yeah, there there's no arguing they're a great band, and you know, it's always going to be the case with a great band. They're going to have their when they go and play a, a show in their you know fortieth year. There's always going to be that one guy. It's 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 like The Simpsons with Bachman Turner over, Overdrive. Uh-huh. Play take care of business, sir. We just did play take care of business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So there's there's definitely yeah. You're always going to have those kind of people. Exactly, and it, well, it's, I would say that's going to make up the vast majority of the of the audience. Maybe, maybe, you but know? but it's unfortunate because that's those it's those deeper cuts. It's absolutely, it's, and that's you know, again that's just where I was going to go. It's it's the stuff that you don't know. That's gonna blow your mind more yeah. than anything else. Always with any artist that's worth worth the damn. Mm-hmm. It's always gonna be the songs that aren't on the radio, the yeah. songs that aren't singles, that are gonna be the best songs always. Mm-hmm. So there's a song off of uh, metal called Seamus, uh, and uh, I don't know whose dog it is, but someone's dog is like barking through the whole song. And it always freaks my dogs out. When I play it. <laughs> <laughs> For, the first time Mandy heard it, she's like, "Who's?" Is that is there a dog outside? Is there, no, it's 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 the song. That's on the album I'm playing. Yeah. I tell I I definitely understand why your wife doesn't like any of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's funny. There's a there's a record store. I think it's Flipside that the owner always posts or he has posts several pictures of his dog. Mm-hmm. His dog's name is Seamus. I wonder if it's that. Well, I wonder if it's why. You never know. Maybe he's, we'll have to go in there and ask. Some kind of crazy Pink Floyd fan. Very possible. Well, that's all I got, man. I don't know if there's no nothing I want to add. This was this was pretty much like your gig. I was just here. To, I was you're here yeah. to say to nod your head and say yes. Well, to you know to help out with with I guess the the, the facts factual stuff and kind of provide. I was here to provide the the casual listener perspective or gotcha. ask so, questions. So you're so. you're providing the perspective that I had up until I'm, like I was. Two years I'm the ago. audience. I'm playing the audience. I'm, gotcha. I'm here on the audience. Perhaps. So you're sleeping. <laughs> no, I just turned it off an hour and a half ago. 
<laughs> I didn't even bother to show up. You know. And I'm done. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway. But yeah, I would I would say, you know, it, it, like I said, if, if you've never heard the band, go check out some of those other tracks I mentioned. Yeah. And well, if, more importantly, if you have heard the song, the, the, the hits, listen to the non-hits. Yeah. Listen, to the album, listen to the albums that you don't know about. Yeah, you might absolutely. find something you like. You may not, but you may. You may. You may come across something that, like I said, blows your mind. Just, you know. And you might come across something and you're like, what the fuck is this? Well, why, gonna... why am I listening to sizzling bacon in a pan? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is going on? What the hell have I found? It's a psychedelic breakfast. Yeah. It's Alan's. Alan's psychedelic, psychedelic breakfast. breakfast. Yeah. But, uh, all right. Any uh, questions or comments, you can email us at contact at com. Uh, check us out on Twitter at LIG Pod. We're on Facebook. Uh, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and uh, email us if there's a band out there you would like Ian to talk about for an hour and a half. Well, I was I was going to point this out after the show. This is what I thought my Jethro Tull show was going to be, but we spent an hour arguing about the album cover of one fucking well, record. I didn't think we were going to spend an hour and a half arguing about the fucking album cover. Well, you, you kind of made it that way because you're confrontational or... Uh, I'm not confrontational. <laughs> you're contrarian when it comes to... You know, you're intentionally kind of. I found an I found a, an interesting story about a very famous record cover that I never had heard before. Right. Well, I all I, I can say is I, that we it, may we may at some point down the road be revisiting the Jethro Tull catalog. Absolutely, as a rule, I, as in in, in I, a much more I will similar glad, way. I will gladly have more to say during the '60s and '70s conversation about Jethro Tull than what Ian had to say about Pink Floyd. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> Post nineteen seventy nine, not so not, much. Not so much. <laughs> but well, and well, and to be fair, there's actually well, there's more records to cover. Post seventy nine with Tull than there were for Pink Floyd, but well, obviously, yeah. But yeah, fair enough. And we may do this with other bands too. There's no reason it has to be just Jethro Tull, oh, just yeah. Pink Floyd. We should. We Gr- Green Day would be a good one. to Green cover. Day would be a good one to cover. Um, I was even thinking Alice Cooper, possibly. Yeah, Wham. Well, <laughs> we could do Wham in about thirty minutes, probably. I, I but it would require both of us to actually listen to the album. I was gonna say I don't, I don't know. I I think I can only name one fucking Wham. I think song. they have two albums. Do they? I think they have two. I they, could be wrong, but I think they have two. They've got. But that, I only know two of their songs. They've got that. You put your ball sack into my ball song, <laughs> and then that other one. That's. I actually kind of like the other song. Oh, I thought you were gonna say that one. <laughs> Well, that's not the name of the song. You put your ball sack into my mouth. That's not the song. But that's, <laughs> that's all I hear when that, I hear that, that song. That's a David Spade joke, yeah. by the way. But that's all I hear when I hear that song, by the way. <laughs> that's all I hear also. What yeah. is the other one? Um, it's I'll, the I'll, Jitterbug song and then- No, I didn't like it. I'm saying two good songs. I like I like that one song, but um, no, it was that- It's kind of a, like a- I'm sorry that I mentioned Wham. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I have to know, so it's- I was like, oh, what's uh, one band that only Wake has Me Up like- Before You Go-Go is the ball sack uh, in your mouth song. Yeah, oh, that's right. Um, and what's the name of that? <laughs> you put your ball sack into my mouth. That is, what's the name of that fucking song? That was, I don't know. Um, it's Wham. Yeah, I know it's Wham. <laughs> I don't know, what's a really bad, what's another really bad band? Um, Menudo. I don't. I couldn't name you a single Menudo song. <laughs> I don't know, but they had some like uh, like ballad song that was okay. Oh, back okay. The, 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 the sure. day it was played way overplayed, but you know. Okay. 
But wake me, wake me up before you go go is the ball sack in your mouth song. <laughs> and if you don't know what that is, look up that David Spade See, joke. Yeah, it's, I think it's he was up. he was just he was talking about how he never knew his favorite bands growing up were gay. Or members of the band were gay. Yeah. Yes. He, was like, he mentions Wham and Queen. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say Wham was when he was growing up though, but. Well, that's his bit. So yeah, I'm just saying. Because, I mean, he was already at SNL by the mid-80s. I think Wham broke up in was the mid-80s. He? Pretty close. Wham broke up in, like, the early 80s. Because that was before I'm not George a, Michael's I, I'm not solo an, career. Right, but I'm not an expert on Wham. So I'm not an expert on George Michael either. Yeah, I don't know if I can name any of his songs. Faith. That's the only one I know. And what's the No, there was that other one. It was That was his first solo album, wasn't it? I want to say that was, like, 80... Five or eighty six. There was two songs that came out off of whatever solo album that was. That had Faith was the one single, and then another single because the videos were very similar. But I don't remember the name of the other song. It was slightly, slightly more. I don't know. George Michael had five solo albums. Faith came out in October of eighty seven. Okay, that sounds about right. I want your sex. No, that's the one. I, that oh, maybe that was the that, other one. Faith. Father figure. Yeah, I don't remember that. Monkey. I remember, I don't remember those. that one. Those are all the ones I remember. I just remember, I don't think it was David Spade. It might have been David Spade. But when George Michael came out as gay, uh, it was, it, it, it might have been, I don't know if it, it, it was at the weekend update. And it, says, and it was, you know, doing like a, like a news news report. Mm-hmm. George Michael has come out as gay. When asked why he hadn't come out sooner, his, his response was because everyone already knew. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think that's enough. We spent uh, way wham. more time on Wham than I ever want to spend on Wham ever again. Right there. That was wham. Enough. That was enough Wham for me. All right. Well, until next time. Talk to y'all later. Peace. Let me tell you about it. This shit right here, man, I'm about about it. Only real niggas reside around me. Yo, lady, drop a card around me. Dip like I know you can, bitch. Show me the rust like we in the ring. Got you some cobras, you wanna hang. Shoulder to shoulder, the niggas basic. You know I won't lie. You know that I ain't for that fuck shit. You niggas alright, but I'm way better and she love it. Know that y'all sick as fuck. Here go this tissue, bro. We taking the dub. Hoping you get you some. This shit like a pick me up. She taking my drugs. Notice, see the sign. That's some dollar sign. Notice, sick as fuck. Now they sick as fuck. Tell them get well soon. Tell them get well soon. Now you sick as fuck. Get well soon. Oh shit. Watch out, you the god, Billy. Oh shit.